We are a community that loves like Jesus, and my hope and my prayer is that this would be a transformative space for you, not just today, but every time you tune in. This morning, I want to continue to inform you of the changes and rhythm that we are putting in practice for our worship. If you join us for our online broadcast, the sermon is going to be the same as in person live. So today's sermon is the same sermon as Sunday morning in person. So it will follow the same scriptures and the same message. Of course, I speak directly to the camera for our online broadcast and directly to a live audience for our in-person, so I'm sure that there will be some changes. We also are going to follow our rhythm that includes Sabbath Sundays. So we will be taking off live in person the first Sunday of the month for rest. So the first Sabbath Sunday will be May 2nd. Yet on our Sabbath Sunday, we will continue to offer an online broadcast in the morning and offer an evening time barbecue on our patio at the church building. So basically, we're just going to party on Sunday evening and turn that into worship as well. So we're rebuilding our children's program, as Pastor Becky noted before, and we've done some remodeling in our children's area. So if you wanted to come down and look, you can. When you come down in person, we're turning this area into a fun and clean and interactive area for our younger kids. The older kids, we're working on rebuilding that program as well across the street at Symposium. So come down and check things out when you come the next time. Well, last week we started our new series, The Sermon on the Mount. And today's sermon is called Blessed Are the Poor in Spirit. Well, we discussed why we should listen to Jesus. Does he have the credentials? And basically I explained the disciples of Jesus laid out those credentials for us to follow. Now we're going to get into the meat of the Sermon on the Mount, starting with Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. So Matthew is presenting Jesus as basically the fulfillment of Israel. Jesus embodied all of their hopes and their dreams, and this is why in the New Testament he is presented as the answer to Israel's dilemma. And anyone that believes in Jesus is grafted in as like an honorary Israelite. So Paul in Galatians 6 says that the church is the new Israel. So part of this fulfillment is portraying Jesus as Moses. So Jesus going up on a mount, on literally a hill, to speak in this ascending type status or position or posture, people would see him as the upward posture. And the mount actually called Har Ha'oshar, and so this mountain actually that existed, the Beatitudes Mountain, the Sermon on the Mount was given there. So this was like the second Mount Sinai in the giving of the law. But it's actually not the giving of the law. It's kind of like marching orders or the Magna Carta of the Christian life. So it's Matthew's way of basically saying, this is super important and he wants us to listen to the teaching of Jesus. So these teachings are like a roadmap. They're signs that point us to new realities and shape our realities and shape our minds and transform our lives into acting and being and thinking and speaking something different. They are radical and they're challenging. They're challenging signs that point us to a completely new direction than we had taken before. Well, the early, early church took these very seriously. 
But by the fourth century, there were political powers in place that had disastrous effects on Christianity. Christianity and the government basically got mixed up. And leaders were invited to the table of the government to help make decisions and help decide different ideas and thoughts even for the church. So yet the, the, the influence of the government that was important for the church to be involved in, the government had an influence on Christianity. It made Christianity more of a religious state, church state, versus a community that would love like Jesus. So how are we supposed to basically run the government and, and run Christianity? Are we supposed to run an empire and at the same time love our enemies? I think that that would be a very difficult, almost impossible, awkward task to accomplish. And so for centuries since, and basically starting with Augustine, we have theologians trying to soften and manipulate these teachings of the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. So for example, theologians thought that these teachings were just for the disciples, not for the crowds or the masses, only for the 12, or basically those that were closest to Jesus, or maybe the most holy people that came after Jesus. That's what the, beat, those, those people were what the Beatitudes was for. Well, Martin Luther even thought that there were two kingdoms, one for the Beatitudes type of life and one for the rest of our life. So basically he would say, when you sin, sin boldly. And when you love God, love God boldly. It doesn't seem like that works in my reality that I read from scripture. So then there are groups of people in, in recent centuries that divided the periods of time since Jesus into eras of time. And you had basically six or seven eras of time since Jesus that they would call dispensations. And the rules of interaction were different in these different dispensations. And so in this theory, the Sermon on the Mount doesn't apply to us today. The Sermon on the Mount is for some future dispensation. In the future, we'll be more empowered to fulfill these somehow. And they're too hard for us today. Well, that doesn't work for me either. I would rather take the stance that everything you read in the Bible is for today. So when you read the Sermon on the Mount, it's for today, and we need to read it at face value. And they are for everyone for all time. Well, the Anabaptists recovered the original view, which I like the original view, and I'm an Anabaptist, and they are for today. The Beatitudes can be applied today, and we're gonna strive for them. We're not gonna be perfect, but we're gonna strive and be more like Jesus starting now. Well, in Matthew 5, in verse 1, it says this, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up a mountain. He sat down, and his disciples came to him. He taught them, saying, and then the following Beatitudes. Well, in Matthew 7, in verse 24, it says, Everybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder who built a house on bedrock. So we see in these verses that I just read is there's crowds and there's disciples. And then in chapter seven, there's everyone. So I can stand in confidence that the Sermon on the Mount, just based on these few verses, is for everybody for today. Now listen to how the crowds responded to his teaching. In Matthew 7, 28 through 29, it says this. 
When Jesus finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching them like someone with authority and not like their legal experts. So this last week is something that I explained. This is the exousia. This is the supernatural power, the otherworldly. As he talked to the crowds, they saw something very spiritual like power from above. So as we go through this, I want to read these Beatitudes, and we're going to go through each one, one by one, verse by verse. And I know, again, we're not going to live them out perfectly, but we're going to strive to be there. We're going to grow to be like Jesus, and that's the goal of this sermon series. So here's our first Beatitude. Happier people who are hopeless because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Well, I use the contemporary English Bible normally in live services and broadcasts, and that's the version that we have adopted as a church. And of course, there's many other versions that you can read from that are just fine, and one of those is the NIV. And maybe the new international version is something that you're used to when hearing this set of scriptures. And so Matthew 5.3 in the NIV says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, Matthew is giving us the attitude or the posture in which we are to have. It's the posture of the spirit, not the economic status, but the attitude of our lives. So what is the attitude of the spirit that he's talking about? The attitude that's virtuous. What is this poor in spirit or hopeless that we are to have as attitude? Well, there is a poverty mindset that I think when people read this, they just automatically go there in their heads, which a poverty mindset is the result of poverty decisions. It, it's not that you're broke or it's not that you're rich. It's a decision or a mindset that you have that's a result of decisions. So a poverty mindset leans in both directions, and when we are in scarcity, it causes poverty decisions, no matter how much money you have. So finding your life on your own is a scarcity tactic. I'm going to gut this out. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to pull up myself by my bootstraps, and I'm just going to embrace that and do just do it. Well, that's, an, that's a scarcity mindset that we're just going to go after it because we don't have or I don't have and therefore I'm gonna give up. So both are scarcity tactics in our life. They are the poverty mindset uh, created by poverty decisions. So being poor in spirit is the opposite of scarcity. It's the opposite of finding our fullness on our own. It's the opposite of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and just doing it. It's the opposite of these things. Being poor in spirit, you may accomplish a lot of things. You may do a lot of things. You may earn a lot of money, but you know at a very, very profound level that you are dependent on God no matter what. No matter how much you have, no matter what kind of house you have, no matter how much you earn, at a profound level, you are dependent on God. Well, being poor in spirit is being fully aware that everything that we have been given is given by God. It's a gift from the Lord. So all things come from the Father above. So our, our fullness in life comes from God. Everything we own comes from God. The gifts that we have in life, the relationships that we have in life come from God because we know 
that they are enough and we are enough, people are enough, you are enough. And if you think about being poor in spirit, it's actually the opposite of being secure by our own doing. So a lot of times when we think, oh, I'm rich, I'm rich in spirit, I'm, I'm rich in being, we're secure because we have maybe a 401k. We're secure because we have a house or we have a big house or we have multiple cars or we have material things or we've acquired fun things in our life. We're secure because maybe we have an education and all these things are good in and of themselves. I would, I would not say that, okay, well, I'm going to be poor in spirit, so I'm going to get rid of my 401k. That's not, what, that's not what the Bible teaches. These things are good in and of themselves, yet they don't create security. Why? Because these things can be taken away. So some people have even thought that because as the United States, we have a strong military or we have a good economy or we have strong political relationships or we're a first world country, this is what creates security. And then a little while back, we have a virus that basically kills 560,000 people or 2.9 million people worldwide reported killed by a virus. So things that we, we think build security, they fall apart really fast. So, so poor in spirit means that our security is being built in our relationship with Jesus. And you may participate in all of these things, and there's nothing wrong with participating in the finances of the world. There's nothing wrong with participating in the government of the world. There's nothing wrong with, and you might have to lead in these environments. You might have to be involved and be a leader in finance. You might have to be a leader in the military. You might have to build your own political relationships in your job or in the, in the environments you're in, maybe in the organizations that you're, you're in. Yet without a relationship with God, the, the only security we have in these things is very thin and very temporary because they can be taken away so quickly. So being poor in spirit is, is the opposite of, of feeling secure in these things. It's, it's feeling secure in our relationship with Jesus. But it's also the opposite of feeling righteous in our own doing. I am doing this, or I am right, or I have this superior morality, so therefore I'm closer to God. So the person that continues to compare and contrast themselves, like to another person or to another group, this is not poor in spirit. I might not be perfect, but at least I'm not like that person over there. That's not poor in spirit. Being confident in our own righteousness is the opposite of what Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount. Being poor in spirit means that you know that traversing this life is by God's grace and his grace alone. Nothing else. You stand before God by God's grace, and you know it's impossible to get into God's grace by his own efforts. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone. Well, one of the best places to illustrate this, I think, is in Luke 18. And if you want to turn there, go to Luke 18, starting in verse 9. It says this, Jesus told this parable to certain people who had convinced themselves that they were righteous and who looked on everyone else with disgust. Two people went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. 
The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself with these words, God, I thank you that I'm not like everyone else, crooks and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I'm not like him. I fast twice a week. I tithe. I, t- I give a tenth to, of everything that I receive. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to look towards heaven. Rather, he struck his chest and said, and this is like the contrite spirit, God, show mercy to me, a sinner. I tell you, this person went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. All who lift themselves up will be brought low, and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. So no one liked the tax collector. The tax collector was like the icky person, right? They, they worked for the Roman government, and they stole from the Jews. They weren't thought of very kindly at all. So the holy person is thought of as the high person, and the tax collector is thought of as the low person. But the one that knows their sin and realizes their unworthiness is the poor in spirit. And so the tax collector all of a sudden becomes the high person and the Pharisee becomes the low person in Jesus' upside down kingdom. So God have mercy on me because I am a sinner and he is seen as justified. So this is the poor in spirit. This is the attitude in which we are to have to know our brokenness, to know where we fall short, and to take that, that brokenness to God for healing and for God to fill in the gaps, God to give us the gifts, God to give us the mercy that we need in our lives. So the big question that I have being a church leader, and it's a really hard question because in a sense it slaps me in the face, and, it, and, and if you've gone to church for a period of time, it's going to slap you in the face as well. Which does the evangelical church of America look like? Does it look like the Pharisee? Or does it look like the tax collector in general? Does the evangelical church of America look like the Pharisee or the tax collector? And I want to ask that honestly and not in a judgmental way because it seems like that the church in general of America definitely has an attitude of self-reliance. And it's, in a sense, we're training ourselves to be that way. We're training Christians and young Christians to be self-reliant instead of God-reliant. And I believe that this attitude of self-reliance instead of God-reliance or self-confidence versus God-confidence is the beginning of a breakdown as a culture and society of people as we know it. So we have this superior morality We kick people out that don't follow a certain set of moral rules. We don't allow people to serve or be a part of things or participate because they just are off our morality just a little bit. We don't want to serve a sinner because of the fear of condoning something. I mean, I actually have experience with that one that we don't want to, we as a church don't want to get close, Church Universal don't want to get close to the, the other people because of fear of condoning something that has, has gone wrong. I love what Pastor Becky said in our live services last week when, when she said, when we, when we come to the table of the Lord in communion, we don't exclude anyone. Communion is for everyone because Jesus at his table sat with notorious sinners. And so at Jesus' table, he didn't exclude anyone so why would we exclude anyone? So 
so when we serve a sinner, we actually have this poor in spirit. We believe that we have the handle on the truth. Folks, that is something that <laughs> I would rather have a handle on kindness than a handle on the truth. It is better to be kind than to be right. And it's nice when we're both, but it's always better to be kind. I would rather have a handle on love than a handle on some truth. So the poor in spirit means that my truth, even my kindness, even my fears of others or fear of who I'm engaging with or even, even my, my stuff, like where do I get my next paycheck or where do I get my next thing that I need in my life, the poor in spirit means that our reliance is on God and only God. And when I read this, I read that the community, the church, needs to be a community of tax collectors, a community of broken people that come together and just put all of their, all of their needs before the Lord and say, Lord, I am a sinner, not worthy, but I, I receive your mercy. And we, we walk out of there justified. We go home justified. So we are to have the mindset of the, of the tax collector, the God dependency, standing before God because of God's grace. So in 1 Timothy 1.15, it says this. This saying is reliable and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the biggest sinner of all. And this is the attitude of the poor in spirit. So blessed and happy are those who embody such. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus and his teaching. Thank you for the attitude that we are to have. The, the blessed are the poor in spirit. Lord, we do rely on you for everything, and we ask that you would provide for all of our needs. Have mercy on us, Lord. We know that we are sinners, and we come before you for grace. Thank you for grace. In his name we pray. Amen.